Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanderers of Melisanda, and Paradise Hills. And I am Keith Foster. I write the comics Animals, Kadoja, and Three Protectors. Sweet. We got that out of the way. Next thing we got out of the... We got it out of the way already. The fuck up. The straight fuck up. Got to get out of the way right away. So what kind of beer you drinking, Fuck up early. Yeah, it's like the fa- fail fast. It's a fail fast method, right? Like, uh, okay, yeah. So Smooth um, sailing the rest of the way. <laughs> we are never going to make a mistake again for the rest of our lives. <laughs> All right, so I have been eager to try this. So I was in BevMo the other day, and I just wanted to try something. It's, it's hot. It's been hot. It's going to be hot. My refrigerator does not have nearly enough, like, lager-type things in it. So I was looking around, I saw, I mean, I, I like plenty of lagers, but I'm looking for that perfect one. And what I what I think I know about myself is that the, the tasting notes I like in lagers are sweet and malty, right? So I, I just kept on looking around and found one where they describe, I mean, just, I'm, I'm just hoping I get this right. But uh, so this is 714 Orange County Blonde Ale by Bottle Logic Brewing out of Anaheim, California. And so it doesn't really describe what it's, um, you know, what's in it. But I remember from the shelf tag that it was like, I think a little bit of like honey and definitely like malty vibes. So here is hoping that this is this. It says it pairs well with smashed burgers, which sound absolutely goddamn amazing right now. I ate already. I could could knock back one of those right now. But uh, 4.8%. And 16 ounces. So so pretty light, but I may top it off with a little bit of whiskey halfway through. We'll see how it goes. Heck yeah. How about um, you? I guess, how about you? I guess we're of uh, one mind because I also have a blonde today. Um, I am not a blonde person. I have brown hair. Black Ooh. hair. Um, I don't like... I, I, I don't think that I like blonde ales all that much. Not mm-hmm. that I dislike them. They're just not at the top of the list. Um, but this is... I thought it was appropriate for the weather. It's still hot as balls down in San Diego. It seems to be getting yeah. hotter. Um, it's getting in the 90s now. And this is in by Embolden Breer. <laughs> I was wrong. You promised you'd never fuck up again. Oh, man. This is true. Yeah. yeah. I, I Breaking promises left and right. Embolden Beer Company Lighthouse Blonde Ale. This is 16 ounces at 5%. So this is a light one. Um, but most blondes are, right? Like, I don't think yeah. there's any heavy-hitting blondes out there. No. Um, so so let's see how this one is. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I had my first sip. It was nice and cold. And, uh, and yeah, I think I've had that, by the way. In fact, that may have even been one of the ones that was on sale uh, last holiday season at, at one of the BevMo's. So okay. I remember, I definitely remember having multiple ones of that because I had bought like a four. That's the thing about BevMo. You got to commit to an actual four-pack and everything. As yeah. opposed to everywhere else, right? Uh, Total Wine and Trader Joe's, you can just cherry pick singles. Yeah, this was a Trader Joe's purchase, so I just got one of them. Oh hell uh, yeah! Seemed, seemed good for the weather, and uh, that's I think that's the thing that I don't like about blonde so much is there's not much flavor to a blonde. It's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of just there, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's good for summers. But yeah. overall, it definitely wouldn't be my first pick, my go to. Right. But I'll let you know Man, the rating were, at the end of this. I was going to say you're hour. really. You're really, you're really foreshadowing 
the rating that you're going right. to give this beer already. Well, let's see. Let's see by the end of the can. Maybe I'll let's change see. my tune. You know, it's like let's see. the first time I had a White Claw, I was like, what the shit is this? Like, I don't like this. There's barely any flavor right. to it. And then you have some other seltzers and you're like, hey, that White Claw is pretty flavorful compared yeah. to these other ones. And then before you know it, you actually like White Claw. That's how um, people did that. That was how Pacific Two uh, made Pacific One so much. Pacific Rim Two made Pacific Rim One so much better. People thought Pacific <laughs> Rim One was like you know really good, like fine. And then Pacific Rim Two came out. I was like, holy shit, Pacific Rim One's excellent <laughs> compared to this fucking thing. Anyway, <laughs> all right, man. What's the first thing you did this week? Yeah, uh, I we're we're definitely going to have a lot to say about Comic Con this week, probably, but. Um, the the first uh the first couple things here actually don't have anything to do with that. This is just the stuff that I did. And I had a different week than you because I didn't table at Comic-Con. I simply went as a fan a little bit. So the first thing I did was that I got I think we talked about this. Yeah, we had talked about this last episode that I had had this recommitment to being done with the first draft of my second novel by Halloween. And so what what I am rededicating myself to I'm giving myself a little bit of a reprieve. Like for the first novel, I didn't give myself any reprieve. Like I wrote 500 words a day. Christmas, sure. (laughs) Thanksgiving, you goddamn right. We're here. I'm doing it, but I'm also giving myself some days where like, no, if you can't do it today, if it doesn't work out, just don't do it. Try to make it up later. So I I did get back into writing my novel daily. Um, And and one of the days I had a, a little story that I thought was pretty relevant to the podcast and it was a little bit over a week ago actually and so i had written 250 words over over coffee and then i got into my day i got into other stuff and then throughout the day i just had this thing over the lording over my day right like you got to write those other 250 you got to write those other 250 but the day kept getting busier and kept having other stuff pop up and i was like you know 250 is not so bad like i can just pick it up tomorrow i can write tomorrow right But then I countered myself again and said, hey, just put your butt in the seat and see what happens. Just put your butt in the chair, decide you are going to write and see what happens. I I actually started writing. I wrote a little bit more, felt I had gotten to a logical stopping point, checked my word count. It had gone up to 875. So I had written 625 additional words on top of the 250. And that was after thinking that I was done for the day. You know, and that's like I was fighting my energy. I was doing all that kind of stuff. And then what's even better is I had a very similar thing happen a few days later. It was like, don't feel like writing. But then I said, no, screw it. Just get in the seat wherever that seat is and write. And um, and I wanted to mention that to everybody because magic shit can happen when you just put your butt in the seat and you write, you know, um, and the the thing that really helped free my mind is something that we've talked about before and I want to mention again, which is the freedom to write something bad. The more I think about that whole line, it's easier to edit something bad and make it good. It's way easier to edit something bad and make it good than it is to put something into existence, good, bad, or anything. And I like that because it frees you up to just say, I'm going to write and I don't care if it's bad. I can make it better some other time. What that has done is given me the freedom to be like, hey, I'm not I'm not here to do quality control just yet. I'm just here to write and I'm here to put something into existence. And um, it's freed me up and it's really 
increase my productivity by just understanding that there's the freedom to have something bad because the beauty of writing is that you can keep on editing it until it gets good. Um, drawing has a little bit more of a, you know, you're pouring a little bit more concrete on that stuff. It's it's much harder, you know, we've talked about this, it's much harder harder for you to scrap a page of drawing and, and do it over than it is for me to probably write 10 pages of prose. I could scrap 10 pages and probably rewrite 10 before you could draw one, just given how different the time is, right? I guess the equivalent would be um, the thumbnailing process or the laying out process. Mm-hmm. Um, at that stage, you can just scrap it and go, okay, let me let me just throw down roughly what I think is going on in this panel just written by the script. It's like, okay, this is what's going on. Um, I'm really happy with this page. I'm really happy with this page. You get to a page where you're just not quite sure how it's going to look in the end. So you kind of just throw something down. So I would say mm-hmm. that's the equivalent where it's like, you can edit this later. Just, you know, this is basically a placeholder in, yeah. in, until you figure out what you want to do. And then you go panel by panel and figure out, okay, what's what's a better way to tackle this? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a good point, and that was all I wanted to say, right? Just w- when in doubt, try it, do it, do a little bit. Let, let's say let's say in an alternate universe, I sat down and I wrote thirty words, and I was like, I'm not feeling it. Hey, at least I got thirty more words out of myself before I knew that. You're here to listen to your own energy too, so you know it. it it's not always going to work out like that. Sometimes you may sit down again, write thirty words, they're terrible, and be like, nope, that's it for the evening, and then I'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah, and the fact that you flew past your your goal that day, like about what five hundred and fifty extra words, like that's that's um, pretty amazing. Three uh, hundred, mm-hmm. yeah, because oh, the, yeah. the goal's five. Yeah, yeah, but still, that's that's the kind of thing I can bank for days like today, where I got so busy. I knew early on with the amount of stuff that I had planned on doing that today was going to be a bad day to write. So I don't even bother. I'm not even going to try. Tomorrow I wake up early and I start it all over again. Yeah, you you worked a little bit ahead, so if you fall behind, it's all good. Exactly. Right on, man. Um, so my first thing was I finished a page and a panel of Paradise Hills. And so that's, for me, that's pretty good, um, especially since I was coming off San Diego Comic-Con. When you do the conventions, uh, your energy can be zapped or you can be inspired. You know, that's mm-hmm. like, for me, those are the two ways it goes. Um, after the show, I either want to draw and I'm excited about drawing. I was inspired by something or just the energy of the show made me go like, yeah, let's keep doing this. Let's keep this train rolling. Or the show takes it out of you so much that you just want to sit there and do nothing for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So as of the recording of this, we're four days past San Diego Comic-Con. And so I had basically Monday to recover. I kind of gave myself the day off that day and didn't really do too much creative. Um, I did something, but that's going to be my second thing, my second and only other thing that I have for this week. And, uh, but yeah, getting that page done, uh, was, was great. It was a splash page, but there was a lot of things going on on in that page. It was the introductory page, the opening page where it is an overhead shot of a neighborhood. So it took Mm -hmm. quite some time to do, um, a lot, very time consuming, but in between when I didn't feel like working on it, I was hopping around to other panels and just going like, okay, just give me a softball. What do I got Mm -hmm. here? And so I found a couple of panels that I was like, okay, I can draw the main character there. Um, I have to still have to work out the other characters in that panel, but 
a couple of softballs. Um, you know, I did enough of those to where I would say that's an equivalent of an extra panel. Mm -hmm. So I feel pretty good about the production this week on Paradise Hills. And that has me down officially to four pages left. But one All of right. those four pages is 85 to 90% done. So, oh. yeah. So uh, by the numbers, I have four pages left. Realistically, I have probably about three with all of the slack method jumping about that I'm doing on those pages. So I would yeah. say about three pages uh, realistically left. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that's always good to know that like it's four, but it's not really four. It's more like 3.15, right? So mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's that's great. That's great. Um, and, you, and you keep on plugging along, which is, you know, very, very similar to what I was just talking about, right? Like the ability to plug along and just keep on chopping away chopping away at this project and before you know it you're going to be done um, yeah the closer i get to that finish line the faster i'm going to start running you know like yeah. that's just that's just how i do it a lot of the times with the slack method when you're jumping around you do end up with a you know a building full of snakes and but the thing is when i get to the end it's like well i see the finish line i'm it yeah. doesn't matter how badly i don't want to do these panels Mm -hmm. Like they're still going to get done and they're going to get done in a timely manner because I want to cross that finish line. I want this project to be done and I got to move on to the next one. So the yeah. faster I do that, the better. I think I think the count was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was about eight panels left, mm -hmm. like in total. So, okay. you know, uh, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, 13. It was 13. I remember okay. now. I was like, OK, that's close to two weeks. Um, I can get that done. You know, that gives me a conservative amount of time. That means I should finish this project somewhere in the middle of August. Mm. And uh, that gives me enough time to start, like, uh, number one, doing any flatting that I have to do for this project, um, which will probably be one splash page. But I think I'm going to turn that over to my flatter. The rest of the pages mm. is just too much going on. And as soon as I finish with that, I might start the lettering process. I might start thumbnailing um, the Drawtober project. I might start thumbing uh, Wanderers and Melisande. I haven't mm. made the decision. I know the order in which I'm going to do those books, but with that extra time that I have, because Drawtober doesn't happen until October. I think two weeks before October, I can lay the thumbnails out for that whole issue and uh, be good to go. But mm. if I want to get ahead of it, I can just start as soon as I finish drawing this part of the project. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Hey, progress is good. We talk about the value of doing something every day, even if it's not a ton, because that's how, you know, that's how canyons get made a little bit of erosion every day, <laughs> right? Mountain yeah. ranges get built with a little bit more getting pushed up every day. So, uh, so yeah, big, big things can happen if you agree to just do a little bit every day. It's great. Um, all right. So that gets us to my second thing. And uh, I actually bumped I had a little bit of a businessy second thing, but I wanted to bump it with this because it was interesting. The warm-up sentence exercise has morphed into something more useful, which I think only by doing it could I have figured this out. So in the last episode or two, I've talked about how waking up your brain in the morning with a sentence may not be the best idea, right? Especially if you're trying to write something artful half a cup of coffee in early in the morning in my case because I just wake up early I, I, I can really get some junk out and and while there's value to putting something junky in place to get you to the good stuff faster often if I just wait two hours I can get to the good stuff anyway right so by doing it I've realized that that might not be the best way to go about just getting some sentences in my journal 
And I happened on another way. And that way is actually present in the last time we talked about this. There was the one sentence I talked about where I, I tried to say in a certain way that the, there was that smelly fluid in the bottom of the garbage can that I poured out, right? And I turned that into a sentence. It turned out that that was the key to this sentence exercise because it's about having those sentences that pop up through the day. So... In my case, something might happen through the day. I might listen to someone talk or whatever. And then I think of, a, you know, like, like <laughs> you, you, you see something happen and then you, you know, my brain just turns it into something else as I'm sort of daydreaming just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, triggers, triggers something in your mind and yeah. it makes you, yeah, it's like a chain effect. Yeah, it triggers a good way to say it. And so, um, so what I've started to do is write down those sentences as they pop in my head. So now instead of it being a warm-up exercise, it's actually a stay-ready exercise. And it can be any old strange thing, right? And so what it's teaching me now is to be on the lookout for those, those moments in my brain through my day when something comes up and I'm like, you know, that wasn't a bad way to say it, even though all of it was just an internal monologue in my head. So that's when I get out the journal and I drop that sentence in there. You know, so it's, it's pretty great because... The, the thing happens, I write it down, and now I have a nice little treasure trove of sentences or ideas or things I can do. In some case, they're almost sort of writing prompts. You know, like last week, the two that I read to you off air serves at, serve as pretty good writing prompts if I choose to. And what I found is that some of these others are really neat writing prompts if I ever wanted to go that way. So much like anything with, with warm-up sketches, it would work this way too. Some of them are going to be unusable. Some of them are going to be sort of usable or usable, and some of them might just spark the next great idea. So it's a matter of just staying staying ready in my case, having that pen ready, or at least being ready to jot something down in my phone in my note app if I need to. And, and that's teaching me a different way of being alert to figure out that neat way that might come up throughout the day to just turn a phrase, right? And so, um, so yeah, it's starting to pay off and, uh, and we'll see how much I continue it, but it's pretty fun to do right now. And by doing it, it makes me more ready for the next time. That's great, man. Yeah, like I'm glad that my little warm-up exercise idea um you know, has turned into something else for you. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's great that it's uh, making you productive in other ways. And it's just, you know, more things for you to potentially use in the future. It's just like, mm -hmm. hey, this was a really good sentence, which triggers this whole story idea that um, could lead into something. Yeah. And, you know, like I have that same note section um, in my my phone where I just have random shit that I write down or like hey that was funny or like hey this was a good idea or I see yeah. this scene in my head and right. then you can repurpose that for whatever kind of story you're trying to do you know it's just like okay how can I get this into second shift or wanderers or paradise hills you know mm -hmm. oh I think that actually would wor really work in that particular world and uh yeah it's just more creative more creative stuff for you to have uh you know in your belt your tool belt there Exactly. Never, never a bad idea to have that, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? The, the fodder journal, the, 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 the storage closet, you know, the overflow cup, whatever, the treasure chest in the basement, you know, anything, right? The more that you can put in there, the, the, the more you might be able to pull from later when you, you know, I'm one of the sentences I wrote today 
might end up being the next big thing that goes into a comic four years from now. You know, like that's what happened with the time travel comic. You know, something I just thought of that I thought was a cool idea, put it on the shelf, turned out to be like the driving force behind a comic that I wrote a year and a half later. So, yeah, do those things, store those things and keep those things. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I threw away so much stuff when I was a little kid. Um, I was just like, oh, I don't like this and whatever. And, you know, as I got older, it's like I really wish I kept those things because who you are in different periods of your life is definitely not who you end up being. And so like those little ideas that may seem dumb to you in that moment, you might look, look at it later on with older eyes and go, Hey, that was pretty creative. I actually think there's something there, something I can Mm -hmm. use, you know, maybe not all of it, but something just one piece of something you did before is, is good enough and can create something completely different. Yeah. And the piece is almost always a chimpanzee. Almost always. It's what sells. You put it on the cover. It's always going to sell. Was that part of the rules? Like put a put a chimpanzee on the cover. Those um, it was. DC it was an editor. Rules? It was. It yeah. was. It was a editor. I forgot her name, but it was like if you put an ape on the cover, it's going to sell. There was like multiple things that you could do. It was Carmine but, uh, Infantino, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, was it Carmine Infantino? I think that's who it was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was. It was like the list of seven things that that I think they always wanted on a cover or that they said if that was on a cover the issue would sell more and it was one of them i think was like apes or something yep. like that pretty mm-hmm. crazy time tested party people <laughs> okay so my second thing it's not as interesting it's not as fun um it was restocking my comics and prints from uh, san diego comic-con so that's just part of the process that i do after i do a show i do my number count i tally everything up see how much i sold of what and I restock my comic boxes. So, you know, I'll usually bring a couple of boxes, two, maybe three, depending how big I think the show's going to be. And by the end of it, you're usually down to one box. Mm-hmm. So going through, I had to restock all the issues just to see what I needed to reorder through my printer. And um, once I, I have to reorder issues 11 and 12, but beyond that, I'm good on everything else. Enough trades, enough uh, issue 13s. So I have to do another reorder of issues 11 and 12 because I do usually sell those in a bundle pack deal. That's usually when those issues move. It's never really on their own um, mm-hmm. because if I do suggest single issues to someone, if they wanted to pick up one issue, it's not usually the Drawtober issues. Um, it's more likely going to be like issue eight, which I still have like three copies of, or issue 13, which is the first of a two-part story. So, mm-hmm. um, And I have the most of that because that is the most recent Kickstarter. So I have yeah. a good amount of that book left. So it's good to kind of put that out in the world and go, hey, if you wanted just one thing, I, I suggest this one. Plus it's my yeah. most current work, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, not not very interesting, I don't think. Um, you know, same thing with the prints. I go through my print boxes and go, okay, how much do I have of these ones? Which ones sold a lot? Then I just replenish those. And they all kind of go back in the luggage or the bins, and they're basically kept until the next convention. So when I'm leading up to that convention, I don't have to go, oh, did I pack enough of this? It's already done. So mm-hmm. um, I find the day after the convention is the best time to do it because... You, knew, you know what you sold a lot of, more than likely. And it's kind of fresh in your mind. And by the last day of the convention, like, I don't know about you, but me, by the last day of the convention, I kind of get used to the routine, mm-hmm. and then the show's over. And it's just like, yeah. oh, shit, my body just got used to this. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I have another another day 
where I can do convention-related shit, and it'll feel normal and I'll get it out of the way. And then, yeah. I don't know, I think it's the geeky number thing that, that's in me a little bit. I love to see what's missing. I like to do the number count at the end and see, like, you know, just, just to check. It's like, okay, what mm -hmm. am I running out of? Like, it's a little fun for me to do, and the convention thing is fresh in my mind. So um, I tackled that. They are good. I just have to do the reorders, and then I have to repack the second box with when those orders come in. Uh, but beyond that, uh, everything's good to go. That's that's fun for me too, except except when I look through my shit at the end of a show and in horror I realize that I have to reorder almost everything, and that's, <laughs> that's kind a good of problem where to I, have. it's a good problem to have. But it's kind of where I am right now. Like I look, I have a long layoff in between shows, but like I need to reorder cards and prints and cassette tapes and trades and all kinds of and probably posters you know the the ones that i want to sell it's like oh my god so it's a good problem to have but it's also like damn it <laughs> you know like i yeah. you know i mean it, it means that you've designed your shit well because you keep on ordering enough to get you through but going forward man i i think i need to just almost purposely order uneven quantities so that i only have to reorder like one thing after any given show instead of like four different types of things that's what I do. I actually do the number count on the books. And when I do my reorders, I try to balance it enough to where everything has the same amount after the reorder. Mm -hmm. You know, just so like, you know, I want issues 11, 12, and 13 to all have the same amount because I don't want just one of them running out and then I have to reorder just that book and pay for shipping for just that one book. You know, it's just like, it's it doesn't make sense. You're kind of, you're losing money that way. Sometimes it's like, okay, the shipping is usually around this mount, you know, like, cause they use a certain service. And so it's kind of going to be a flat rate, you know, like when mm -hmm. we do our metal prints and stuff, it's like, it's beneficial yeah. to do a large order because of the number yes. that they charge for the shipping is always the same. You're right. You're right. Should we have, should we have like a, a, a business stocking conversation right now? Sure. I wanted to ask, did you finally reorder volume two? Nope. God damn it, Keith. <laughs> it's but, been months. But, like, but I don't have to. I don't have to. You know, like that that's the problem. The problem <laughs> You can't is... make me. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> na 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 na. No, well here's the thing. I right now, I I mean, I'm I'm trying to stick to my budget. I'm trying to stick to what I'm paying my artists. I need to pay artists for the next few months. So the closer I get to shows. I mean, I, I actually should mention that I have committed to a couple shows. Um, the one, I, I talked about it a long time ago. I'm I'm doing the, it's going to be a wild show, actually, because it's the metal swap meet in San Diego oh, yeah. in mm -hmm. late October. But the thing is, I'm going through so much of my stuff that my table is going to be like 80% actual swap meet stuff. Like, I'm going to sell, hey, if you're in San Diego and you like metal stuff, number one, go to the metal swap meet. Number two, I got some I got some shit for that ass because I'm going to have records and music gear and and like extra cables that I don't need anymore and posters and all kinds of cool stuff. And that's going to be the bulk of what I sell. And then I'm going to have a small table where my books are there, too. I'm just I, I want to kind of I, I view it as a more important way to clean out my garage than I do to <laughs> to sell comics. But that said, I've also put a down payment. Um, Invader is going to be at L.A. Comic Con in early December. And so I will also, I, I will obviously be there as part of Invader. 
And I have a few others on the horizon that uh, that I may need to prepare for too. So at the moment, I just want to keep on taking the money that I have in the account and paying artists with it. And then when it comes, when I have to, I will order volume two. But this ties a little bit into the conversation we're having, right? Like I'm I'm building to a volume four. At volume four, it's going to be this weird calibration because you know the the way the comic market has changed is that so many more people at the table order volume one to get started and as a result that's skewing all of my stocking out of whack you know like and 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 the thing too is the look there's good news about having more story the good news about having more story is the people that love your story and keep on you know, wanting more issues, wanting more trades, wanting all that, they're going to be happy. And straight up, those are the most important people to make happy. The people that have been down since day one or that have been down for a while and that want every every issue of the comic you're doing, right? But but the, the trick is, how much do I really order to stock that? Because the, the the downside of having more material is that any one person, if they wanted to catch up to from, to speed from nothing it becomes a very ambitious price point for them to do that. And then you look out in the future when I'll have an omnibus, that's going to be a same omniscient, uh, omniscient. It's going to be a same um, you know, ambitious price point as well. So anyway, it's the dumb kind of mental gymnastics I do as I build more content. More content's never a bad thing, but it also comes with like strange twists and tar- turns in its, in its, you know, side hallways, for lack of a better way to put it. So, you know, it's something that I think about when I continue to do this, um, and we'll just see where it goes as I as I build more and more content out of the Kadoja thing, you know, the Kadoja series as I wind it down. The other the other stories are are younger in their story. When Animals Two comes out, two of those comics will probably retail for like fifteen bucks. When Three Protectors Two comes out, those two things will retail for twenty twenty five, something like that. That's not too bad. It's not quite the ambitious, and you're going to see this when you get Volume Three of the Second Shift out there too. You know, all of a sudden, the buy the whole lot amount becomes a pretty substantial amount, and now you're like, well, you know, it's great because I have all this content, but it also you also wonder if there's like this tiny little hint of a downside on how much it would be to just get started with the story where people might just go like, you know what? Let me just start with volume one. Cause that's something I've seen over the last year and a half. It shows. Yeah. Where I'm at right now is a nice little price point. So mm-hmm. I'm at 13 issues, which is two trades and three singles. Yep. Um, and I can get away with, so since volume one was kickstarted completely, like, mm-hmm. People paid for the printing of volume one. Every time I sell an issue or volume one, it's 15 bucks. All of that, I make $15. Like there Mm -hmm. is no overhead to account for. It's like, well, I paid this per volume, so I have to subtract that from the total. No, there's Mm -hmm. none of that. So what what I have been doing is basically saying, hey, 40 bucks, you get to catch up on everything. You get two trades and three singles. It basically saves you 10 bucks. So mm-hmm. you basically get issues 11 and 12 for free. You're paying for 13, or you can think about like this way, 35 for the first two, you're paying five bucks for three singles. Mm-hmm. That, that's what's going on. So yep. it's a nice little price point. It's 40 bucks. People are like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah. And then now I've, I've um, San Diego was successful in 
selling like the slip cases that I had ordered. I had mm-hmm. brought like 10 with me to the show. I sold nine of them, which is really cool. And I was like, hey, for 10 more, 10 bucks more, I printed a limited amount of these slip cases. So it'd be 50 bucks total. They're like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, holy shit. You know, if I can talk them into the slip case, $50 is, is, is a solid amount of cash. But it's that like the fact that that 10 is negotiable. It's like, well, you don't really need mm-hmm. it. You can you know, get the whole series. So I like that aspect of it. But to your point, as soon as that third volume comes, it's like, well, I can't give them that whole third volume for free. It, it's going right. to jump up to, um, you know, 50 bucks. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. 50 bucks, you get three, three trades, you know? Yep. So that's basically knocking five bucks off the first trade. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's already, that's already what I'm fighting. And it's even more than that because I have a couple issues on top of the third volume, right? So again, it's it's champagne problems for sure because we're out here making comics and that's what's going to happen when you make a whole lot of fucking comics, right? So it it's it's about balance and just figuring out the next way through it. I will tell oh, I will tell you something. I was going to say tell you something and say so I said Tay, Ote, catchphrase, Ote, Watata. So. I was going to tell you, at San Diego, we have a limited supply of the Accidental Alien Anthologies, the 2018 and 2019. Um, my studio mate, she she thought it was a good idea to start selling them for 15 She's like, hey, at WonderCon, I was actually selling these for 15 You know, cover price is $10. Um, it's on the back of the book. So I was like, you know what? Were they selling? She goes, yeah. I was like, fuck it. Let's try it. Let's see if it works. People were buying them for 15. You know, I was actually pretty shocked. You know, the anthologies, those those two in particular, have eight stories apiece. Um, and at the time when they were created, the profit margins were really good. Again, these books are already paid for. They were kickstarted, so it's nothing out of our pocketbook. You know, the backers paid for these books. But, you know, the price point was really good back then. It's even better now at 10. You know what I mean? Like, to pay for a eight-story anthology for $10 is a steal. So the fact that they were still willing to do the 15 was really good. So we're able to mark them up. And, uh, you know, it, it, I don't know that it affected the sale. I think we lost two sales because of it, um, that I witnessed. But beyond that, everyone was perfectly fine paying that total. Yeah. So I think as, as time goes on, I think these price points that we have in our mind that we consider to be maybe a stretch too far, I think it's more in our minds as people that were collecting comics when comics cost, you know, 75 cents, a dollar, then it got moved to, you know, a dollar 25, then it jumped to a dollar 95. So I think these prices aren't as bad as we think they are. Um, And also, I think a lot of our clientele are tend to be older people, people Mm -hmm. who actually have like good jobs and are afford are able to afford these things. Um, You know, when we get into the main subject, which is us talking about San Diego Comic-Con, you know, I'll I'll go more into it. Do you think it's a good time to go into that? Do you want to hop right into the main topic? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I I have a third thing, but the third thing is going to age very well and be my first thing for next week. So, yeah, let's roll. Okay. Yeah. So uh, our main main subject this week is San Diego Comic-Con. Obviously, it consumed a lot of my time. Keith was also there, Um, you know, having a booth in small press is always great for San Diego Comic-Con. And once you go there and you see what cells are capable of at a convention, 
it kind of sticks in your mind. Like this is what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And for me at the show, I think that was my biggest struggle was constantly comparing my sales from the previous years. You know, when, once you make a certain amount, that's what you want to make. Now, yeah, we were, we were talking about that on the floor, I think. What was that? Sunday morning, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, you know, I was, I was, I was telling you that if this was any other show, I would walk away from every single day happy with what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask me how the show was going, I'm like gangbusters, best yeah. show. So awesome. But when you're doing San Diego, there's a higher expectation because mm-hmm. the money is flowing way more. The, the capacity, the floor capacity is way more and it shows, mm-hmm. um, spoiler alert. I got there. I was yeah. worried about the number that I was getting. I wasn't getting there by the last day. I finally got there. I thought it was yeah. a unsurmountable amount of money that I needed to get. I got it. So, and, and that's actually something you talked to me about at the show was, hey. I called it, yeah. Yeah, you're like, look, I have these existential crises. You talk me down from them all the time. I'm going to talk you down from this one. And you did, and it was a great day. You know, yeah. I thought it was a number that I couldn't reach, and you're like, you can do it. You can hit that number, and I was mm-hmm. able to. Yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, that's that's great. You know, like, like, like you're recapping a lot of our conversation, and it, it is amazing how... It's funny, right? Because we had that conversation. And then, of course, Rachel and I walk away and we're, you know. Uh, so what we're going to do is I think we're we're probably going to go back and forth a little bit with like the vendor experience and the fan experience, which is why I thought talking about Comic-Con isn't a bad idea. Like we've never really approached it from two different perspectives. How about that shit? How about that shit? Right. So um, but but I think it's it's cool because I think we take Comic-Con for granted. Because you can table at it and because I get a free pro badge for it. But there are plenty of listeners right now, very, very far from San Diego or or sometimes even close to San Diego, but they've never had a chance to go, who have a curiosity to, to San Diego Comic-Con. So that's why I, I'll tackle it from being a fan. It was easy for me in Comic-Con because... And the thing that I did, too, that you didn't mention um, here is I think I had a good memory for how your last year's show went. And last year, you had a big Sunday. And I think you had, like, a weird Saturday. You had, like, a wonky Saturday and a big Sunday. So, you know, I was just like, this might just be a historical thing where, like, you do well earlier in the week and on Sundays. And, you know, so so it happens. So it, it's it, I was happy that I was able to give back some of that stuff that you've given me and my, you know, Keith's Keith's existential Saturday noon crisis that seems like clockwork at all these shows. Right. And then the, from from the moment there, it just happened. And of course, we're being jokey about existential. It's just the way we're you know, it we're overstating it, but it's it's in that space. Right. So. Right. Definitely. So, yeah, man, that's that's great. That's great. Um, So. Yeah, for me, um, again, I'll just I'll just try to pick. I'm assuming you're going to have a few things to talk about, so yeah. I'll I'll pick a couple things to talk about. Which is, I went Wednesday night for preview night and Sunday all day. That is my preferred way to do it. I really like Wednesday preview night because it just gives you a little jump on most of like you know the availability type things maybe not exclusives nobody really does exclusives on wednesday but it does give you the first crack at booze you can get a layout for the floor you can get a vibe etc right so so wednesday i'll I'll do wednesday first um so my wife uh, went with me that night as well 
we walked right in and I had had this plan, which I've talked about on the podcast, which was I, I had a couple places I wanted to go. I wanted to go to a comic publisher or two's booth. I wanted to hit the book section, the actual book publisher section. There are about four book publishers that make their presence known at San Diego Comic-Con. I wanted to see where the hell Mondo was for my big quote-unquote move on Sunday. Um, And I wanted to stop by the Super 7 booth to see if they happened to have any extra MF Doom figures in stock. So we get there, and my wife was kind of you know, hemming and hawing a little bit over whether she even cared about Tokidoki. That's her favorite vendor at San Diego. And then we finally get there, and of course we walk up. I mean, we had gotten there at like 6.45, right? We got there a little late when the floor opened, but not too late. But that was enough for the Tokidoki line to be like just off the chain. So they had actually capped it. And uh, and then so, again, what what happens at San Diego sometimes is shit's so crazy that they just don't take people at the end of the line. There are... Tons of volunteers all around San Diego Comic-Con whose job is only to be the end of the line and to hold up a sign that says end of the line for this booth because that's how crazy the crowds get. It is Comic-Con is a true test for the fire marshal of San Diego County, right? Like, <laughs> like there is so much crazy shit going on and so many crowds and so many lines and there's nowhere to sit. So people just sit along the wall and you can't sit along the wall. And there's always this enforcement that like, look guys, you can't do this, you know, all that stuff, right? So uh, she couldn't get in the line, but then there basically there was like a 20 person line at the end of the line. That, that was waiting to be waved in once they uncapped it. So by the time we got there, it had been capped. And I was like, okay, so what do you want to do? She's like, well, we'll just stand here and maybe it'll get uncapped. And I'm like, so that's what you want to do? You want to uncap it? Because if you want to walk the floor with me, you can do that. But if you want to stand here, I'm not really going to stand here with you. I might as well use it to go hit all my other spots. So she was like, yeah, I'll stand here. And then we just texted each other. So yeah, over basically over the course of the balance of the night, I checked off every single box on my list that I had just said and, and even did more and wandered around. And she waited in line for Tokidoki and then got stuff at Tokidoki. That was her Wednesday night. It was nice. Tokidoki. And for me, it was every other thing. So uh, because I'm sure, you know, look, our 10 billion listeners are eager to know whether I there was an MF Doom figure. There wasn't. So it's kind of funny because your comment ended up being prescient, like, hey, we're at this new show. Here's these exclusive, but here's also a bunch of other shit that we couldn't sell yet. <laughs> you know, and that's that's sort of the way. Look, Super 7 has so much cool shit. It's not a problem for most people. But since I had a specific thing I was looking for, they didn't bring that to the show. All good, right? The, the whole point was that it was a flyer and, and an intelligent estimate of what was a possibility, right? So didn't work out. I ended up grabbing a few things and and really cut the Comic-Con swath I wanted to cut. I bought a, I bought a Star Wars novelization of something. Um, it's actually kind of cool. It's a novelization based on The Duel, which is the first Star Wars Visions episode in season one. It's basically like a samurai manga Star Wars. It's yeah. quite awesome. Yeah, and this was a this is a novel set there. And then I ended up getting a couple things at the Fanographics booth, mainly comics journals. Uh, the comics journal is like the best you know quarterly journal out there where they're interviewing creators and all that stuff. So I love that kind of stuff, and uh, I, I sort of indulged that on the first night. So my Wednesday went a little bit differently. Um, being a vendor at the booth or at the show, I was having some issues with getting to the show. 
Um, first off, I don't hmm. know if I mentioned this on the pod, but we were supposed to get um, underground parking. So as a vendor, you have first crack at the underground parking uh, beneath the San Diego Convention Center. We had an issue with our uh, sailor's permit. My studio mate, he forgot to put a dash. So it's like a letter, dash, numbers, and that's your parking or your, your seller's permit. He did not put the dash. He was waiting for weeks to get confirmation that, hey, they got everything. Here's our booth number. He's like, hey, what's going on? Haven't heard back. They're like, your seller's permit is invalid. He checks it. It's just the dash that's wrong. He adds a dash. They're like, yeah, that fixes it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, that's stupid. <laughs> it's yes. like you guys couldn't have fucking looked it over. Like you guys yeah. couldn't have looked to see it. Like, is this a common problem? Because it has to be a common pro- a common problem for you guys. Yes. On a related note, I hate when you have those same kind of things happen on websites where it just says there's an error and you have to basically play like the price is right blind game on like I have no idea what my error is. You're not even telling me. You're just telling me right. that something's wrong. Drives me nuts. Yeah, absolutely. So by the time they finally get back to him, he goes, okay, um, so what about the parking? How do I find out, find out about the parking? Radio silence, nothing. This is like three weeks before the show. Like there's still plenty of time to give us the parking information. They never do. Mm-hmm. By the time they finally respond, they have opened it to the general audience. There is no more parking. So we're screwed. Um, luckily I had talked to a friend that I knew was going him and his wife were going to be an artist alley. So I was just like, Hey, huge favor. Can I ride with you to the convention? And they're like, well, depends how much shit you have for your setup. And I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to take care of the setup on a Tuesday. We're going to take care of it beforehand. So you don't need to worry about that. All I need you is to transport me. And I was like, and if you have limited space and you want me to hold shit i will hold whatever you want you could you could pile as much crap on me as you want as long Mm -hmm. as i can get to that show so that was the plan wednesday comes around i'm like hey just want to double check still good to go on the ride right and there's a lot of hemming and hawing and then eventually Mm -hmm. go yeah we're gonna go but we're gonna go at noon i'm like okay show starts at six I got to kill six hours, basically. It's like, I can probably kill three. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was like, you know what, fuck it, whatever. All right, let's, sh- okay. And he goes, okay, I'll get back to you, you know, I'm driving home. Okay. He gets back to me. Okay, we're going to leave at 11. It's like, dude, I cannot kill seven hours. So I go, <laughs> so I'm like searching for alternate rides, alternate transportation, um, I talked to my studio mate. He said he's just going to Uber down. And I was like, do you mind if I just ride with you? I'll go to your place and Uber with you. He goes, yeah, that's cool. So something comes up. He is no longer able to go. Very, very valid reason. No complaints there. But I'm like, I barely made dick the year before. We mm-hmm. had to set up that day, so it really didn't matter. It was like, okay, we have to set up. Show starting in 30 minutes. Okay, let's do the show. Only made this much. It's fine. On preview we were, night, yeah. Preview, preview night, night was was a was a, a, a wash for you. Uh, in ter- you basically paid for transportation, maybe a little bit more than that on night one, right? Es- essentially, yeah. Like we paid for the parking underneath the structure. That mm-hmm. that's what happened. You know, it's like I think we made five dollars more than the parking underneath, ten dollars more, yeah. something like that. Yeah, um, which is fine because we needed to be there anyway. We needed to set up. So um, I was like okay, well, how much will this cost if I park at his place, which he said I could, and then Uber from there? It was like, at that time, it was $35. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's seventy dollars round trip to Uber. Fuck yeah. this. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm. I don't. I didn't make that the year before. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to make it this year. Yeah. L- last ditch effort. I talk to you. I offer a couple of offers, uh, scenarios. Yeah. In which which we can go together. Yeah. And. We landed on the third one, which was, hey, you guys scoop me up. We go to UTC. We have some, some dinner, and then we take the trolley down. Yeah. Um, we ended up doing that. Instead of costing me $70 in an Uber, it cost yeah. me $5 round trip on the trolley. And uh, so I'm so happy I did because what I made on preview night, it was basically over triple what I made the previous year mm-hmm. in two hours. So pound for pound, preview night was my best night because yeah. the limited yeah. amount of hour time that hour. I was right yeah the 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 limited time that I was there like to what I made was was crazy and yeah. so I was so happy I went I was really happy with the vibe of the audience that day everyone just seemed like they were happy to be there they were interested in hearing about the stories and then picking up the books I actually sold two um of those bundle packs or I sold three bundle packs total two of them with the slipcase, so I was like shocked how how easily those slipcases were moving, and mm-hmm. so uh, I was really happy with that. I was glad people wanted to take stories home on the very first day, and uh, yeah, man, it was a great preview night, and no complaints there. Now, mm-hmm. oh, you weren't there for Thursday, so I'll talk about Thursday. Thursday, quick quick complete... question first, quick question. Yeah, absolutely. How how was dinner on Wednesday? <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> Fucking, I got a Philly cheesesteak. Which claimed to be the best Philly cheesesteak made. The best Philly cheesesteak in the world, if I remember. And it was right. it was trash. I number was so one. number I was, one. Fuck n- Pats, fuck Geno's, fuck Tony Luke's. This is it, fool. It was the number <laughs> one worst Philly cheesesteak I ever had. So I think that was what they forgot to put. Um, <laughs> yes. And I was so jealous because we both went there and like, yeah, that sounds good. And you're like, hey, I'm gonna go look around first. And I like I hemmed and ha- I wanted to get Panda Express. I was like, yeah. I kind of want to just get Panda Express, but then I, yeah. I got the cheesesteak. I felt committed. Your yeah. food looks so much better. It was cheaper, and it was yeah. faster. And I didn't like, do Panda. I, I actually, I was like, I don't know about Panda. Let me, let me, I got to go to the bathroom. Let me go to the bathroom. And then I passed this really good, like, it looked good, like, teriyaki spot. They did, like, basically you could get um, some rice, teriyaki shrimp, beef, or chicken, or combos. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'll order the teriyaki chicken and shrimp combo fuck it was good <laughs> like it looks so good mall food because there's a food court inside you that big center at utc wow it was really good man and it was like five bucks cheaper than my food yeah yes it was so, like that was the worst part <laughs> it was like i paid more for worst food and slower longer food. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah just anyway ugh. so sorry please please proceed to thursday yeah it was a bad start I was like, yeah. I couldn't find rides. Finally got a ride. Then I sp- spent 17 bucks on some shit food. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Thursday was the opposite vibe of Wednesday. It was like really standoffish. People were irritable. No one really wanted to talk. And it was it was really weird, man. Like you played this little game of, oh, do these people, can I get these people to come talk to me? Like when you do shows, it's like, hey, how's it mm-hmm. going? They go, oh, pretty good. Hey, do you, do you like comics? Then you can start into a conversation. No one was giving me anything. I'll go, hey, how's it going? They go, hey, and then walk as fast as possible past me. Exclusive Funko. Yeah, right? So it was kind of like, 
I, I'm going to nix the whole, hey, how's it going? Because I'm not even getting to, do you like comics? They won't even yeah. let me get that sentence out. So I was like, yeah. okay, got to trim the fat on this pitch because that ain't working. And um, so Thursday was really weird. It was the worst day financially. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't like it. I didn't like Thursday at all. I was pretty upset. <laughs> Fuck um, I, yeah. I ended up at a decent number. Uh, again, if this was any other show, no complaints at the number I ended at. Uh, yeah. Again, this is San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, so, and you had set precedent like that. That's what we were talking about. You know, we I may be repeating myself from ten minutes ago, but like the the problem is you 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 set precedent against what happened last year, and it's San Diego Comic Con. So even though that's a really high number, you can't help but measure yourself to the number you got last year, right? It's just natural, right? And then every year. Hopefully, you're bringing more product, which means totally. more sales. Yep. So if you if you hit a number, not only do you expect to hit that number, but you expect to surpass that number. Mm-hmm. Now, I made that mistake the previous year, so this year I got away from that. I'm like, let just let's just hit the same number as last year. If mm-hmm. we can hit that same number, then we're going to be okay. I don't want to bog the whole episode down with me going through each day. Um, mm-hmm. Friday was Gangbusters, probably my favorite feeling day and great mm-hmm. sales wise very very consistent um throughout the day and everyone was super chill and uh, so really liked it saturday was a weird day it was like okay everyone's chill but it was saturday was definitely the i'm buying everything tomorrow day it's like mm-hmm. i'm just looking day that's essentially what the saturday was um okay. and then sunday of course was gangbusters it was easily the best day um good vibes went fast made tons of money, um, great conversations. And, um, you know, I think my biggest takeaway from the show is I really do like connecting with the people that, um, I've met over the years at San Diego and bonded with over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. they're just cool to like when they pass by or I go to their booths and we just chop it up and have a good time. And it's just like, I see this friend once a year. So it's nice to spend some time with them and just talk with them and see what's going on with them, you know? And, um, you know, one of those friends, uh, we always talk business. It's always business. It's, it's always this comparison thing. We're like, okay, well, what are Mm -hmm. you doing? Well, I'm doing this. What are you doing? You know, like, well, you know, what's what's working at your booth, what's selling at your booth. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of the business side of it all, but we enjoy that part of the conversation and it's very sure. interesting. And it's just like we're both kind of like data gatherers, like the way we examine the conventions. And so for me, those are really fun and entertaining conversations. And unfortunately, they only get to happen once a year because that's usually where I see them. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is good. So I have a, I have a, I'm going to break things up into two chunks. But both of them happened Sunday. So we're going to we're going to flash forward because then I did some other stuff. I had life, went back home, lived my life, did stuff. Uh, Sunday, we, we come back down for Comic-Con Sunday. And I, I, I I'm going to save the the one part for bringing the bullshit. But let's just say that, um, you know, like I was my wife and I were talking about like I kind of you know, we compared panels like I want to go to these panels but it sort of depends on whether she wants to go to the panels because if she wants to go to a panel that I don't want want to go to, it's very easy for me to kill time on the floor. And that's actually what I did from one to two. She, um, I mean, we both like the Picard show, but they had a Picard set design um, panel there where they were talking about Picard season three and set design. They had a hilarious line in there that she relayed. She said 90% of sci-fi sets are hallways. 
<laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, but but you know, like so, what I did was in that in that hour she was in the panel, I used it as a chance to hunt stuff down, and I did a pretty good job of hunting down a, a couple, couple comics that were on my want list. And a couple comics that were very fresh placements on my want list. And and not only did I do a good job of hunting them down, I did a good job of hunting down the cheapest version of those comics at yeah. multiple vendors. Because the, the crazy thing about Comic-Con, from a comic buying perspective, is it's probably easier to find... I mean, it's way easier to find a key comic from golden, silver, or bronze age than it is to find a comic that came out two months ago. That's that's almost goddamn impossible because those vendors just don't want to buy. They don't want to pay the the very high rate for a booth. If you're paying a high rate for a booth, hey, it's great to have books that are like anywhere from a thousand to a million dollars at your booth. Yeah, I said that right. They actually one of the vendors actually had old Batman and action Superman shit. One million dollars list price. Fucking Dr. Evil, baby. Um, so, wow. yeah, one million dollars. So, <laughs> so I, you know, the nice thing is there were really only four vendors that were doing anything semi-recent. And I was able to hunt down a couple of the comics. I might as well shout out one of them. Which, uh, I'm going to keep the theme of Sunday to bring in the bullshit because a, a total theme was there. But I was able to grab uh, Darth Vader, Black, White, and Red. And, uh, ah, yeah, yeah I need so, that book. So Darth Vader Black, White, and Red 3 was put in my pull bin by Funky at Comic Book Hideout. Shouts, Funky. And I was like, why? You know, I, I didn't order this. Like, like, why is it in there? He's like, hmm, Daniel Warren Johnson's story. And I'm like, oh, Funky, you're the greatest. So yeah. that that Daniel Warren Johnson story in Darth Vader number three, black, black, white, and red, fantastic. And I liked the other stories enough where I'm like, yeah, let me track these down. And those were one of the ones I was able to track down both issues one and two by just bouncing around between these four booths at different spots on the floor. I also got a couple other things, um, but, you know, I can talk about them later. But uh, But anyway, so that was like the comic part of it. But I wanted to share this before my... And again, if you don't have anything else, I'll just run straight through here. But I do have one thing, and it's kind of a, kind of a longer thing. Okay, so good. So let me do this. Let me finish this. You can do your one thing, and then I'll do my final, my final note. Mine's a meander, meandering thing, I would say. Oh, meandering's the best, Scott. You know that. Well, then maybe I'll just run the whole thing. Let me do that. I'll run the whole thing. So despite our best intentions, we got hungry at Comic-Con. And... We ended up like getting hot dogs and onion rings. By the way, the Comic-Con onion rings, San Diego Convention Center onion rings. Very, very good. They get my wife's stamp of approval. She's a bit of an onion ring aficionado. And uh, so, yeah, man, they were very good. But we couldn't find a place to sit because Comic-Con is insane and because the aisles are crowded and because what people do is once they get a chair at an actual break area, especially if they have kids, that is their home base for the day. So the kids will sit there and like dick around on their games or something like that because kids get bored really fast while the parents will just bounce around from booth to booth. So I was happy because there was there was an open space at one of the tables, not chairs. And then we just stood there because it's like, I just want to put my water down while I eat this hot dog and then we can get going, you know, and um, there was actually turned out there was one empty chair and the woman there with her family let us use her chair while she was away. So we were able to sit. And I'm looking yeah, around. In exchange, though, you have to watch her kids, right? No, not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, but I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you yeah. burped the baby. I burped. I burped a baby. I 
maybe this is illegal, maybe not. Like, I passed one of them heroin. Is that, that's okay, right? I mean, it asked for it. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you asked me to raise your kids. I'm trying to raise them right, right? So anyway, uh, all right, so (laughs) showing them, showing them what the good stuff is. Yeah, exactly. So, but I'm looking around, (laughs) seriously, and, um, and, uh, and I'm just looking at how packed this, this, this um, area is. Oh, I should, I should mention one thing that I talked to a couple friends and a couple random vendors and one thing came through every time. Every one of them said they were doing better than last year. And I asked them why. And every one of them said the reason was no Hall H. Because there wasn't really a Hall H this year because all the big movies and TV guys, they, they backed out. So Hall H wasn't a thing. And what the conjecture was from every single one of the artists and vendors was... Well, without Hall H, people here are excited to come to Comic-Con and they're not spending all day in a panel or they're not going to a signing or they're not doing any of that stuff. So they're just Waiting coming in here, line. checking out the art and they're grabbing grabbing stuff. So, you know, with that in my brain, as I'm looking around at how jam-packed Comic-Con is, I had this thought that, I, that my wife and I started talking about, which is like, you know, I think Comic-Con's going to be just fine. The story going into Comic-Con was, oh, the big movie studios and TV studios pulled out. What's Comic-Con going to do? It's like, you know what they're going to do? They're going to do exactly what they've done for the last almost 50 years. And in my opinion, Comic-Con doesn't need big money from Hollywood and TV. And Hollywood and TV doesn't need Comic-Con. But I think they both benefit each other. And I think that, you know, look, that, that this is my one big business assessment that I'll ever give on something like the Making Comics podcast. But I think that, like, I think that makes the negotiations in the future that much better. Because when I was looking around Comic-Con, what I saw was, the, the line I gave to, to Rachel was, you know, if 10 years from now, the big craze is that pogs have come back. And that the number one animated series is a rainbow bunny with a chainsaw. Then, goddammit, Comic-Con is going to be a whole lot of people that are happily buying Pogs and getting merch from the rainbow bunny with the chainsaw. Because when when I looked around Comic-Con, what I saw was people who have made San Diego come. Yeah, I think it is, actually. Well, without the rainbow. But, you know, maybe they'll make like a sour. (laughs) What I saw was families, people, and fans who have set their nerd calendar for San Diego Comic-Con. They save up money, they book their travel, and they know that they're going to come and they're going to enjoy Comic-Con the whole time. And whatever stuff is there, that's going to be the stuff they like. And that's okay. People get to enjoy this stuff however they want to enjoy it. And I think that makes Comic-Con healthy. You know, from my wife and I's perspective, it's weird. Because my wife's prime of Comic-Con, she she went to Comic-Con before I ever did, was the TV panels for shows like Supernatural and Smallville and Twilight and things like that. Where And... and that meant that she had to fight a lot more craziness in terms of finding gear, getting autographs, and waiting in lines for panels. For me, the peak of like my tastes intersecting with pop culture was like 2013 through about 2017 when Godzilla and Pacific Rim had huge studios behind them and when the Marvel Cinematic Universe was dovetailing a little bit more with the kind of stuff I like within it. Well, those days are gone. 
So for me, I walk around the Comic-Con show floor and I just see a bunch of stuff that I kind of don't care about. So what it allows me to do is cut my what is becoming more and more obscure swath through Comic-Con faster. And I still enjoy it, but it's not the big thing. You know, so anyway, Comic-Con's going to be just fine. It's going to be here for a long time. And what's cool about Comic-Con is it's always going to morph to the tastes of nerddom and pop culturedom. And and it's going to stay healthy no matter what the big thing is. You know, uh, another thing with the studios being gone and people not waiting in line all day and, you know, for Hall H and all that is the money that they were going to spend on said photographs and autographs like those it's not 20 bucks it's mm-hmm. like 300 dollars for yes. you to take a picture with of like you know Chris one Hemsworth of the mc yeah like exactly yeah. right like yeah and and well you want the whole cast right well it's a thousand it's a discount yeah. you know so like there's it's stuff like that you know like they actually got to save that money and spend it on the floor so mm-hmm. not only are they saving their money on those those photographs and autographs they are uh also saving time because they're not just sitting there waiting to see those people so that's why the floor was a lot busier and um you know i have i'm fortunate to be in san diego like it is hard to get into san diego amen in the in the sense that I am in small press, it is unfortunate because people only go into small press that are looking for small press books yeah. that are looking yes. for alternate comics, you know, alternative comics to the big two. So you don't get a lot of those random fans going in there. It doesn't happen, mm-hmm. and uh, it's way better than when I was a kid. Man, I remember going to San Diego Comic Con back in my day, um, and <laughs> you know being. Being able to, uh, b- number one, buy a ticket the day of. You can just go there, yeah. walk walk to a window, pay for that day and get in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I always did the four-day. And you got about a 10 to $15 discount if you bought the previous e- or the next year that yeah. year. And so it was always the debate of, okay, it's 75 bucks for all four days next year. But if we buy it this year, it's 60 So we yeah. got to save $15. So, But then we can't spend $60. So what do we do, right? Like there's yeah. always that debate when you're a little kid. Yep. $60 is a lot of money. So anyway, back in those days, I would be going down the aisles and I would see small press and I would turn right the fuck around. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, I don't want any of this. And I would just yeah. go the other way. Um, yeah. Thankfully, it's not as bad as that. But it is definitely used as a pass-through lane. People that are not interested in indie comics, um, they are just walking through. They're not really stopping to look at anything. So, um, but so yeah. So I'm doing basically the same numbers. I think I think maybe our table overall did better, but we are keeping our own numbers when we do these shows. It's just like okay, we do have the anthologies, and it's basically divided by how many people are working the booth. So um, at most, we had three people working the booth. It was usually two people working the booth. So Mm -hmm. every anthology that you sell that you're in, you get 50% of that. The other person gets 50, no matter who makes the sale. Like, that's Mm -hmm. just the deal, Um, especially if one person's better at pitching than the other. You Mm -hmm. know, it's just like, okay, well, hey, I mean, you know me. We booth together all the time. I, I will talk to everyone. If you yeah. give me the opportunity to talk to you, I will talk to you and I will pitch mm-hmm. you on the book. Yep. Um, so, you know, and, and it's fine with me because I have way more merchandise. I have way more prints, metal mm-hmm. prints, comic books. So I have a bigger opportunity to sell things than my other studio mates. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, that all goes to say I did 
I asked the people around me the same thing. Everyone seemed to be doing a little bit better than the previous years. Some were mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's it's good, but, you know, there was always a little bit of a but. So, mm-hmm. um, but overall, I have no complaints as far as the show goes. Um, did you, you had one more thing or did, was that the, did you run the gambit of that? I, I have one more thing. And, and then we're going to let you meander and then we're going to come back to a little bit of bullshit that's Comic-Con related and I think we can sail on out of here. Yeah, does that sound good? Okay. Okay. Yeah, because um, we we both have bullshit, but we can just save it for next week. Non non Comic Con bullshit. So the the second half of the day. So uh, this this one o'clock to two o'clock panel that my wife went to. When she comes out of it, she sends me a photo of a poster that was like Gamera panel at three o'clock. Gamera the giant monster, and that was one of the ones that I tentatively wanted to do. And uh, so she sends me that picture immediately. And I'm like, fine, fine, you got me. You know, so um, I had already bought the comics I had wanted to buy, or basically I had gotten everything I could on the floor. So we decided that she was like, oh, I think I saw a line queuing up outside for that. So let's go ahead and go up there. So we go up to like, you know, room 26 ABC or something like that. It's like 220, 215 for the three o'clock panel. So I walk up to the people kind of heading the room and I say, hey, um, well, let, let let's hold that thought for a second the cool thing about the gamma panel number one there's a gamma animated series coming out in september i saw a preview of it it looks fucking cool i think it is easily the coolest thing to come out since godzilla 2014 okay like in my case it's it's animation is kind of like that new style where it's sort of it almost looks like moving paper drawings but it's it's pretty badass once you get used to it anyway it's six episodes gamma's gonna fight five different fucking monsters through these six episodes so it adhere it adheres to the lotso giant monsters thing there is craziness going on they showed us a 10 minute clip of how the first episode starts there's some mad violence in there, man. So, like, for, for giant monster people like me, it looks fun as hell. I highly recommend it. But the coolest part was, not only was it a well-orchestrated panel with these first-look things, that, of course, they then released later, although the 10-minute edit, they will never show that again. At the end, they had the director and the monster designer do a special signing on exclusive postcards to only that signing. So they paraded us over oh, to like wow. the sales pavilion and then anybody who was in the panel could just get a free postcard signed, custom signed to them. So I have like two Keith and then it's got the signatures of both of them. I got photos from it. I just thought the whole experience, like it was the perfect Hall H experience, except okay. it was in 26 ABC, right? So so that part was amazing. And Gamera ended up crashing. I can say it now because it'll be in bullshit. What was basically a Doctor Doom kind of day on Sunday, right? But let's move back to that point in time when it's 2.15. I walk up to the security person and I say, hey, is there a line for the three o'clock panel? Because if there's not, I'm happy to be the beginning of the line. And she says, there's no line. Just go on in, find a seat. It's not full. And then you can hang around for the three. I'm like, okay, so if that's what you're telling me, that's what we'll do. We walk in the panel. What's the panel? How to write a novel. How to write a novel. With a couple people, I I apologize. I know two of the three people's names. It was one of the Winter Twins, right, who shows up at San Diego Comic-Con. The the Winter Twins have been writing since they were 12, and they, like, self-published and sort of of made their way up. And then there was a guy named Jonathan Mayberry, who has written a ton of, like, commercial novels and fantasy sci-fi, that kind of stuff. But isn't it crazy the way serendipity works? Because I'm sitting there just because... 
that's where I'm supposed to sit. And you can't help but pay attention to all this stuff. And before you know it, you hear some cool things. So I made a list of some of the cool little one-liners that came out of it. I'm going to try to present most of them as just, you know, you're going to see them out of context, but boy, are they going to sound familiar to to what we've been talking about on the Making Comics podcast, which is great. It's always great to hear people that are doing it out there. You know, look, we're, we're doing it on Making Comics, right? To, to hear them go through the same stuff that you're going through. So I'm, I'm just going to, peel off a couple of these and go from there as a way to remind everybody that like the thoughts are there. Like these probably agree with a lot of things you, you say, or you think, or that have been said on the podcast and that's okay. Right? So here we go. We learn to write by writing books. We learn to do by doing. I was one of them. Another one, the Jonathan Mayberry, his first novel took three and a half years and 18 drafts to write. 18 drafts. He released his first novel when he was 48. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, another one of the novelists, the one whose name I can't remember, but he was the one that was on, like, he was credited as a New York Times bestseller, uh, bestselling writer. He he talked about how just doing it. And he said, sometimes I would grab stuff I did yesterday that, that I loved, read it the next day. And, it, and when I, while I was writing it, this is what he was saying, I thought it was so good. And then he read it back and he said, I have shit for brains. (laughs) And then he had other stuff that he had actually crumpled up and thrown in the wastebasket. And then he uncrumpled it the next day. And what he thought sucked was actually interesting and had promise, which is something Scott has said a lot about when you review what you did yesterday and you may not have thought it's good. And you're like, oh, actually, that wasn't so bad. It's, It's also something that he and I have had on podcasts, right, where we were like, how good was that really? But then we listen back to it the next day and it's like, or, or when we're editing, like that was fine. You know, like what was going on, right? So just remember that like what you think in the moment of creation may not matter much. Like it, it, you may be wrong. It's just important to know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some edits, Some edits you can take that an editor gives you, but you don't have to take all of them. So even when it's an editor, it's like getting notes. It's an ego check and a reality check. And, and the reminder that the person gave was, the idea is not to publish the book you want, but publish the book that the writer, the editor, and the company agree will sell the most copies. I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of reframe this whole, like, take some of the notes, but don't necessarily take all the notes, right? Right. Um, and then the final thing that I, I really liked, um, well, one, one that I also loved was a couple, three more. One, the process is the point. And writing should be a source of joy. Two, should you publish traditionally through an agent or through a major publisher or do it independently? The line was, any loving is good loving. Do it the way that works best for you. And then third, this started with the idea of kids are born artists and they often turn away from it because they look to please others. I thought that was really interesting, right? That like you have this artistic vibe and you learn to sort of tamp it down. And so something we've talked about a lot on the podcast is learning to ramp it back up, you know, remembering that joy that you had from early on. Um, and he talked about this exercise that he did. And and he what he would do was he would get each of his kids' students to draw a sandwich, a chips, and a drink that were like what they love, their favorite sandwich, chips, and a drink. And so then they draw them, and then what they would do is he would he would get everybody else 
to like he would just pick one at random and he would ask a random random kid who didn't draw it like would you eat this lunch and and every time the kid would say no why well because i don't like the chips i don't like those chips or because i don't like that drink i don't like that drink or because i don't like that sandwich and then what he does is he goes back to the person that drew it he says do you care that they didn't like your lunch and the kid was like no and and what he did was that's his way of saying you're not your work you're not your product so I, I, I like that as, as a big thing to build on because it's something I think we all do. You can take criticism personally. You can think that by, by someone critiquing your work, they're critiquing you. But all they're really doing is saying they wouldn't eat, you know, like it's the work. It's the chips, the sandwich, and the drink that you drew, right? It's not you. It's a little part of you, but it's not you. And so you shouldn't be upset about that kind of criticism. So I liked that as like kind of a final thing to talk about in this context to just as a reminder that when you go out and you seek that criticism, like Scott and I have talked about so often, that you remember that it's just a criticism of the work. It's a critique of the work. It's notes on the work. It's notes on that chips, that sandwich and that drink that you drew. Yeah, um, that's definitely true. And I would have said, yes, I, I didn't like that they didn't like my lunch. I would have been affected by it. I w- definitely would have, you know, because I was a hey, I'm, I'm like a, yeah, yeah. It's like, you what know, do you, mean I'm, you don't I'm, like sour cream and onion. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm better at it now. I'm, but like, I've always been a very, um, like emotional kid, like sensitive. Yeah. It's just like, oh, gotcha. like I could get my feelings hurt pretty quickly. And so like over the years, you know, like you learn to deal with it. It's like, it's like doing shows, you know, you can mm-hmm. pitch somebody and if they go, if they just ignore you or go, no, nah, no, I'm, I'm good. Like your feelings get hurt a little bit when you first start. The longer you do this, the, the less that happens. Like you're just like, all right, whatever. All right, next person, you know, and, that, and that's just how it has to be. You kind of get tough uh, you know, you get a thick skin over, over the years. You, it just doesn't bother you as much. But when I was a little kid, that definitely would hurt my feelings. <laughs> so, okay. So the thing that I wanted to talk about, um, and it was kind of, it was the theme of the show for me was observing other people's booths. And I've talked about this sporadically through the shows, uh, through the making comics podcasts and, it's looking around and seeing what other booths are doing that is working. Okay, my booth isn't busy, but this booth is. Why is this booth busy? So I look to see what is different, what is interesting about that booth, and I I take that and I think about how I can apply that to my booth in my own way. How can I make my booth better by, you know, incorporating something along the lines which which booth X has? Now, this year was way different. This was an examination of a complete overhaul. I saw my booth, I saw the layout, and I was like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. I don't like the way our booth looks. I I don't think it looks clean. I don't think it looks up to snuff mm-hmm. um, for my standards. There were plenty of booths that looked just like our booths. So it's not like it doesn't look professional enough for San Diego Comic-Con. That's not what I'm saying. It just wasn't what I wanted to look at more anymore. Aesthetically, it was not pleasing to me. And there were a bunch of booths. If you go on my social media, 
I have posted a bunch of photos. Number one with friends, with with uh, you know fans of the comic, mm-hmm. and that, that that momentous momentous train ride with Rachel and I that you you just yes. referenced, right? The the one photo that I got of you, me, and Rachel at the show, <laughs> and because um, I think we're just overall terrible at remembering how to do it, or remembering to take the photos. Like mm-hmm. I I swear to you, I I saw so many more people than what I posted, but it was just those happened to be the time that I actually remembered to do it because it's like no no dude. You forgot to take photos yesterday. You didn't take any photos. Like, I think Wednesday, Thursday, I took zero photos. Yeah, so, I mean, that was my it, photo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The photo that was taken that's on my social media is, is the one that you took. Yeah. Um, but if you go on to the last one, the very third post, uh, I think it's the most recent of photos of people at San Diego Comic-Con. If you flip through, the, through those, there are some booths in there that made me go, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. This is a good booth. This is how you lay out a booth. These are booths that inspired me. And it's the last one, I believe, of the booths on that post. It's my buddy Mike Kingston's headlocked booth. Mm-hmm. He showed me weeks before the show happened. He goes, I'm redoing my booth. Um, this is what I have coming up. Mm-hmm. And so headlocked is a wrestling comic book. He always has wrestlers at his booth. That's the whole deal. He redesigned his booths with brand new table skirts and a giant tall ass banner that looks like a wrestling entrance way. Okay. And I'm like, this is the shit. Because when you look at his booth, you know exactly what his booth is about. You have no questions as to what this booth is. Now, if mm-hmm. you don't know pro wrestling, if you don't like pro wrestling, maybe you would be confused. You wouldn't understand. But if mm-hmm. you like pro wrestling and you you look at his booth, you know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that should be the, the purpose of your booth and how it's designed. It's just like everyone needs to know when they come up to it what to expect when they're looking, looking at your stuff. Mm-hmm. And... So when I look at our booth, the accidental alien booth, I'm like, we have one banner. Um, it's it's a table. We use it as a table skirt in the front of our booth so people can remember us. But what we have behind is a giant wall of prints, which is mm-hmm. good. Giant walls of prints get people attention. I got that mm-hmm. idea off of someone who was doing nothing but selling prints at shows. He had a giant wall. He had the tallest booth in the aisles, and he was easy to spot. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, I get it. When you go to his booth, you know exactly what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Okay. The purpose of our booth is not that. The purpose of our booth is to sell comic books. We want to sell our, you know, creator-owned books that we've created, but what is being shown is the giant wall of prints. So mm-hmm. I was like, there has to be a better way to do this. Yes, I do want people to buy prints. They make me a lot of money at the shows. But mm-hmm. the main purpose of the booth is to sell those comics so what do we have to do we have to rehaul this thing we have to get a giant image of you know we we can pick the image that we want but we need to find something that'll say we sell comic books here you should come here to buy our comics mm-hmm. yeah man i love all of that i love all of that you also had a as scott was talking i consulted uh his instagram because I, I remember looking at it. In fact, uh, you had sent me a text like, I have a thought that I want to talk about on the podcast. And about an hour later, you put that post up. I'm like, I bet this is what he wants to talk about. But you put Bill Bill Sienkiewicz's booth up there. And uh, I'm guessing maybe it was because it was like the white walls with the framed art look that Bill Sienkiewicz does. The first time I saw the booth, it was Tuesday. Mm-hmm. All they had up was the white wall with his name on it. Yeah. And just the way the name looked on the wall, it screamed Bill Sienkiewicz. 
Oh, it's ridiculous. It has, yeah. Yeah, it, it has this crazy sporadic look to it. You can read it perfectly fine. Yeah. But when you look at it, you go, yeah, that's Bill Sienkiewicz. Yep. So th- that was specifically what what drew me to that booth, that mm-hmm. white wall with his name, how it was laid phonetically, out. Yeah. And it was phonetically yes. right. Like, that's the funny thing. It's, you know, if you mm-hmm. look at Bill Sienkiewicz's name, you have to be a comic nerd to know that it's it's pronounced that way. Right. Or, yeah. I guess, you know, Polish, you know. Um, right. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it, it's it's really cool the way they do it. So, no, man, I think that's great. I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's always good to rethink what you do. I mean, you know me; I've been thinking, rethinking that kind of stuff constantly over the last couple of years, and I'm pleased with how I'm getting more and more minimal with it. So, yeah, man, we can we can vibe since we're gonna um, and collaborate since we're gonna be sharing booths a little bit through the next couple of years too. Yeah, definitely. And that was something I was talking about with um, my buddies, Ian and Sherilyn. Um, You know, Ian by trade is a graphic designer. That's what he does for a living. And he's constantly redesigning Sherilyn's booth. Like, like, okay, how can we improve this? And to me, I look at his, I look at their booth and go, your, your booth is really good. You don't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then he'll come up with a new design. I'm like, yeah, that's really good. So it's just never one of those like, yeah, the old design was better. It's it's almost never better. It's mm-hmm. it's always the best design. Whatever his newest one is the better design. Nice. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where, for me, I don't get to see it very often, but they see it all the time. So to them, mm-hmm. it's stagnant, it's stale. Totally. And, and, you know, this is honestly the first year where I've gone, our booth is stagnant and stale. Like, mm-hmm. it needs to be better than this. It doesn't scream, you know comic books it's it screams yeah. oh comic book art you know mm-hmm. like fan art and it's just like well that's well that's not what we're doing that's not the main purpose of our booth so we need to adjust that yep so when i was talking to them you know it was it was kind of like ian had good questions because because that's his job he goes well will you ever do a table space with only three feet like artist alley you're probably never gonna go back to artist alley right i'm like no no no, no. Mm-hmm. and then later on i realized Oh, yeah, I'm totally going to have a space that's three feet because you and I split tables all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're eight feet. Sometimes they're six feet. So, yes, I will have a space at some point that is only three feet. So I'm going to need to design that. And on top of that, I share tables with Keith almost exclusively now. So we need to come up with a design that's like pleasing to both of us. And like we're able to I'm probably going to have to do two tablecloths or or something along the lines because we also go hey what side do you want well i kind of like this side i'm like cool because i kind of like this side it's the constantly changing thing so it's just like okay we need to figure out a way to do this you know to like have a tablecloth or a backdrop or something like that where it's easily adjustable to what we need to do for that show yeah or we talk offline and figure out something that we can both agree on and just unify making comics like the fucking Soviet Union. You know what I'm saying? I don't even yeah. know if that makes sense. I don't care. I mean, see... The USSR, I, baby. I've... I decided to have some bourbon. <laughs> I saw that. And that's... And that's and that's why... Yeah, I mean, I poured it right in front of you, baby. You did. <laughs> you know, so... So, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, I think we can probably talk offline a little bit and see what we can do and just go with, like, a unified experience, you know? So, anyway, that's that's all awesome shit. Um, I don't care how long this episode goes because it's only about me editing and, you know, I'll figure it out. So <laughs> fuck future uh, Keith. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, Keith, while you're editing this. So um 
So let, let's go back. Let's do a little fun dose of San Diego Comic-Con bullshit. And then we'll uh, we'll roll on out of here. So let's roll back to Sunday morning. And I believe I mentioned this on last week's podcast. And I also talked about it with with Scott and my wife on the on the train in even on Wednesday. And there was this thing that Mondo had announced a Doctor Doom poster. It's basically like the nine faces of Doctor Doom. It's it's a it's a funky looking you know colorway with a lot of different expressions of Doctor Doom. And Mondo made that announcement a while ago. And I'm like, okay, when's the drop? Well, the drop's Sunday. So that was one of the reasons I chose Sunday. I'm like, well, we'll go there and we'll see. Between Wednesday and Sunday, I did all of these. "Ah, I don't need that. I have this cool Dr. Doom poster here. I don't need it. I don't blah, blah, blah. This is this is, you know, like, ah, fuck it. You know, and then um, finally, when we were going into San Diego for Sunday, the design was "Ah, screw it. We'll show up when we show up. And I don't need that Dr. Doom poster. So. We, we leave at, you know, I don't know, 6.15 in the morning, something like that. We had, we had timed it all out so that we could catch like a decent train, get in sometime around when it opened because Rachel wanted to see if they had this one Comic-Con t-shirt available. They ended up not having that t-shirt available. But we're like, well, let's let's drive halfway. There's a Dunkin' Donuts halfway in Wildemar, California, um, over near Temecula. So we'll stop at the Dunkin' Donuts. We'll get, you know, like some good coffee, some, some breakfast. Hey, I don't, by the way, anybody out there who just winced at me saying Dunkin' Donuts coffee is good coffee, you're wrong. Dunkin' Donuts coffee is good coffee. Loving it. Loving it. Um, anyway, so I had a really solid cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. We go on down there. We find ourselves at UTC and we we catch the train. We we barely make the train. You know, we're like, oh, this timed out well. Like we were able to kind of drive up, park, catch the train without much of a rush. We we walk off the comic tram and it's only like 9.03. And the show starts at 9.30. And I'm like, you know... I didn't expect for us to be here this early, but maybe I should give a shot at the Mondo print at the, at the Dr. Doom print. She's like, do you want to go for it? I'm like, well, what do you think? Like, I need you to sort of reality check me here. And she's like, I think it's worth it. You know? And I was like, okay, so the logic is look, it's, it's, this is the collector mentality totally, but like, it's better to have it and not want it than the reverse. So, right. We split, she goes to check out the t-shirts, and I walk, try to walk into Comic-Con, right? I, uh, I I made a mistake, by the way. It turned out that I could have just gotten on the floor early with a pro badge, so that's good to know for next year, but I didn't know that. So I just walk in with, the, with everybody else, and for those of you that haven't attended Comic-Con, what they'll do before the show floor opens is they will steer everybody into Hall E, run you up the escalators and then make you sort of go around the entire upper level and then back down onto the comic floor around Hall G and Hall H. So I find found myself in that thing. I'm texting Rachel halfway through like, oh boy, I'm in like the, the corral on the way there. So it's not looking good. So in the meantime, I happen to look on Mondo's site and I'm like, oh, they're releasing an online version at 9.30. They're doing that drop of a different colorway. So one colorway is kind of like funkier, which is the one that was at the booth. And then one is very standard, all green and metal face Dr. Dooms with like blue stirred in. So I make my way down. I'm like, Hey, can't hurt. I finally make my way to the show floor. I'm like, whatever happens, happens. And you ha- what you have to do is you have to go there and get a wristband for a timed entry. 
I get my wristband. It says noon. Okay, so I got my wristband at 9.30. I'm like, hey, what time do the... Uh, 9.25, actually. I'm like, what time do you start letting wristbands in? They're like 10 o'clock. I'm like, well, limited edition of 110 posters. Eh, good sporting chance. But I figure I'll probably have to get back in line earlier rather than later. Like, the difference in getting that poster and not may be the early or late in the 12 o'clock hour, right? But in the meantime, I'm like, let me see if I can get the one online. So I walk outside where the reception's better. Thing goes live at 9.30. I get it. Boom. One one down, right? I get that. I'm like, hey, and I'm and I'm talking to my wife the whole time. Like it makes it still makes more sense to have two and sell one than have zero, right? She's like, yes, that you're you're doing everything right, right? Like like, and that's that's what she's so helpful for because if there's something I do that's a little silly, she's gonna be like, ah, that sounds like a little bit of a stretch. But she right. she 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 gave me like the the presidential pardon for all this stuff right so we then kind of walked the floor we ended up talking to some friends hitting some booths etc around 11 30 comes by and i'm like all right well let's let's go by the booth and see if i can get in line for the 12 o'clock release or something i walk right up to the the mondo booth it's like 11 30 i'm like hey um is there a place i can line up for the noon entry and they're like you can come in right now i'm like hell yeah i walk in there's some Dr. Doom posters left. So the easiest way to describe this one, because I'm looking at it on my wall right now, is that it looks like a blacklight poster. It's it, oh, okay. so, so the one colorway is like typical green Doom hood with metal Doom face with blue swirled in. And this is all here, actually. Um, I can just turn this around so you can see it. That's what that oh, yeah, like, right? Yeah, so yeah. It, it has a very like funky, wild blacklight vibe to it. Totally. So keep in mind, my wife hadn't seen the poster yet. So I walk over and I'm like, hey, you, you know, like I'll take one of the Dr. Doom posters. He's like, cool. Um, and so he uh, he he like, you know, rolls it up and kind of shows it to me. And my wife immediately goes like, whoa, that's cool. And I'm like, OK, good. <laughs> you know, like that's how you, you like she'd already co-signed it anyway. But it's always good when you get that like, damn, that's cool. Right. So I ended up getting that you know, good, good thing. And I even had a little bit of like a pay it forward thing because another random comic con thing is while we were killing that time, I stopped by Alex Ross's booth and the Alex Ross booth was cool because what they did was they created a big circular mural of all of the single covers he did for those variants, um, a couple months ago, right. Which you told me about, I bought you, you got me into this and, and indirectly got me into fantastic four by saying, Oh, Hey, did you see that Alex Ross, Dr. Doom variant? I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> right. And before you know it, I'm reading fantastic four and Dr. Strange now. And it all started with that one line you gave me. But um, so my wife and I are waiting in line because you actually have to wait in line to take a photo at this thing. And and the uh, Alex Ross employee, he says, OK, and now for today's pin. And I'm like, Dr. Doom. And he's like, no, it's Venom. Oh. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, we gave out Dr. Doom on Friday. And I'm like, oh, ah. bummer. I was like, oh, whatever. You know, like Dr. Doom is my favorite character in the Marvel Universe. But what are you going to do? Right. So right. we're waiting. We, we wait a little bit. All of a sudden, this dude taps me on the shoulder. He hands me a Dr. Doom pin. He's like, hey, I got an extra one Friday. And I'm like, oh, wow. No shit. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm like, can I do anything? He's like, no, man, it's all good. You know, so. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so badass, right? So I say this because that was such a nice thing to do. We had walked by the Bob's Burgers booth and gotten like free poster tubes. And so when we were in the Mondo thing, the guy ahead of me said, hey, do you know where... Like, where'd you get those poster tubes? I'm like, we got them at the Bob's Burgers booth, but we got them like 
an hour and a half ago or something like that. And then I had a quick whisper conversation with my wife and I'm like, hey man, do you want one of ours? Like we have two. We don't need two. We only need one. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, take it. I mean, I just had this one person be nice to me for the Dr. Yeah. Doom pin, so it's best to pay it forward, right? So, oh, he was so happy. He ended up grabbing one of these same posters. So, yeah, man, an- another happy customer. It was really cool. Hell yeah. Then I ended up even buying Dr. Doom-related comics. Um, and again, it was it like everything was coming up Dr. Doom until Gamera stole the show there late with the killer panel and the killer signing. So anyway, a a fun bringing the bullshit San Diego Comic-Con Dr. Doom edition. And uh, yeah, it just, you know, that that whole thing was just uh, everything nerd-wise. And, you know, look, my wallet took a took a punch and I need to chill for a while. But, uh, but hey, I, I, I got the stuff I wanted and it was worth it. Yeah, I have, that was a great story. Um, mine is not as cool as yours. Mine is very quick, very easy. There was one thing I wanted at San Diego Comic-Con and that was the Ryan Otley uh, box. mystery That's right. mystery box. Yes. Mm-hmm. I am not a mystery box person. I think people that like mystery boxes are crazy. Yeah. Or they just have a shitload of money and don't give a fuck about it. Because or, or they're the same kind of people who like ranch dressing and <laughs> or ballots. Or people that... Okay, like, like this is the kind of people we're talking about here. Okay, like ranch eating, bow loving, <laughs> ranch eating, um, or exactly. they love gambling. Yeah, or they love gambling. Yeah, that's so totally I, it. I'm not a gambler. No, I like to know what I'm paying for. Yeah, but I love Ryan Otley. Everything in the box will be Ryan Otley related. Yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I'll, I'll do it. But if it's if it's fifty bucks, I'll get it. If it's a hundred, it's a step too far. I don't think mm-hmm. I'll get it. Yeah. So I before one of the shows start. Um, I make my way over to the Skybound booth and floor opens. I'm in small press. Small press is never the first destination. So I'm not worried about it. Oh yeah. You could kick back for about an hour or two there and be just fine. It's just like, yeah, the first 30 minutes it's, it's whatever. No one's people are running for the Funko booth and the Mondo booth and all the other equipments, right? right? Super seven wherever. Right. So I go there, I go, Hey, do you guys, guys, you guys still have Ryan Otley mystery box? They're like, yeah. Um, how many do you want? And I was just like, just one. And then I was just like, how much is this thing anyway? And the guy goes, 150. Mm. And I'm like, Oof. reluctantly pulling my credit card out anyway. And I hand it over <laughs> because I love Ryan Ollie. Yeah, so I was just like, all right. Yeah. And, and the reason for this is you had the chance to win the original cover art. That is yeah. the exclusive cover that comes with every box. Every box comes with um, its Invincible number nine reprint with this brand new cover that's okay. convention exclusive. And you have the chance to win that art. Mm-hmm. Or you can get like a CGC slabbed Invincible book, like issue one or whatever. Yeah. And, the, and some of them have remarks on it, like other numbers. So it's like a really good, a really good value. Ryan said uh, on his Instagram, one in three are winners. Yeah. So I'm like, oh shit, okay. So I tell the guy, you pick. And he goes, no, you have to pick. There's two stacks here. You have to pick which stack. You have to pick which box. And I'm like, fuck. I have terrible luck. I don't want to do this. I don't want to pick it. He refused to pick it. Mm-hmm. So I pick it. Look, motherfucker, I said pick a box. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's my choice. You pick it. But yeah. um, so he's like, okay. I recommend you open it here 
because if it is a big item, I have all the big items here. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, okay. He goes, if you have a big item, it'll have a card in it. And he's like, it's like a ticket card. It's mm-hmm. like it's pretty good size, like a postcard style size. I was like, okay. So I open the box. First thing I see is it is a postcard style ticket right on top. Hell yeah. And I show it to him. And it says, pick one. And I was just like, what does that mean? And he goes, oh, it's a poster. You pick which poster you want. Uh, and I'm like, god damn it. I'm not a poster guy. I'm not a print guy. Uh, I don't have a lot of stuff like that on my walls. The room that I'm in, if, if this was yeah. a bigger room, then maybe I would be. But it yeah. isn't. It's a very small yep. small room. I have a Lanil U light shower drawing on my wall that he did for me years ago. And a Jeff Darrow um Shaolin cowboy print with a mm-hmm. remark on it. Those are the two things I have hanging on the wall. Oh no, and um Wanders of Melisanda variant by Alex Rigel of mm-hmm. uh, whatnot fame, uh, Ninja Funk. So yeah, prints, they just usually don't see my wall. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. I don't collect them. Yep. So I'm just like kind of disappointed. And I'm like, I can't fucking believe it. I just gambled. I lost. That's why I don't gamble. I'm upset. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some time goes on, like I think a day, and I'm still talking about this box. And I talk about it with a fan. And they're like, hey, you paid for the experience. Yeah. And I was and I was just like, you know what? That's exactly what happened. And uh, after the conversation with her, I was like, let me look at these again. Let me see if there's like, let me see what that other thing was that was in there. Because I saw the variant cover that I wanted that comes with mm-hmm. every box. But there was another one. And I was like, oh, shit. I remember this cover. It's like a Battle Beast uh, recreation of the Tony Tiger uh, Frosted Flakes box. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I remember Ryan Otley advertising this. And it's just mm-hmm. like all foil edition. And so I looked it up on eBay. It's a $100 book. Oh, nice. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, cool. And I'm like, in this convention exclusive, obviously, will go up over time. And yeah. there was like Spider-Man number one signed by him, which I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And um, like Hulk number, I think, three. And everyone told me like, oh, no, that's actually something. Hulk three is something. And I was okay. like... I was like, oh, all right. And that's also signed by him. So I actually, after a couple of days, I found out, hey, the box was pretty decent overall. It mm-hmm. was just like, hey, I basically paid for, I got what I paid for money yeah. wise, yep. you know, and it was just like, okay, the difference might've been about 20 to 25 bucks, which is probably the cost of those prints, right? Yeah. Like, so I'm just like, all right, I, I'm, I'm good. And, and like, not only that, I'm an invincible collector, so the yeah. fact that I have two new invincible covers, like I'm like, all right, I'm I'm super happy with this, like overall. So yeah, that's my story. Not not a lot going on there, but it was an interesting uh, roller coaster of emotions, and it landed me in a good place and uh, got off the ride uh, a happy camper. Yeah, I actually think that's like a minimum one hundred fifty dollars story. I think that's a really great story. Like you you undersold okay. it, you undersold it, but yeah, man, it's a good story. Right on, man. All right. Hey, so we're running super long. So we have other stuff, but we'll save that for next week. Um, You can... Oh, we're going to rate these beers. So this beer, it is Emboldened Beer Company Lighthouse Blonde Ale, um, 5%. I give it a 5. It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I probably wouldn't buy it again, uh, but there's nothing wrong with it. Yep. Yep. Bottle Logic. Orange County Blonde Ale, 714, uh, a six, a six. Um, it 
God damn it, it wasn't malty enough, <laughs> you know. So, mm. so, and now I have three more that I got to figure out. But that's okay. I've got a, I've got a big graduation party for all my kids this weekend, so I can, I can pawn those off on some people and then backfill it if go. I need to. Yeah, boom. So it, look, it was perfectly fine. Um, but I, I'm, I'm searching for like that dream lager. And this wasn't it. And, you know, much like setting your bar as last year's San Diego, I probably set the bar a little too high. But I'll still hold by the six. It was fine. You know who my dominant lager for the year is so far that I wouldn't mind having more? Um, is that Chongo beer that I got from Funky at Comic yeah. Book Hideout. That was the beer I almost bought. Because I had, oh, I had it between the last, whenever, um, I I had it within the last week and I thought it was very, very good. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I very much co-sign on Chongo. It, it was very good. But it's like I'd had it already. So uh, so yeah, it's okay. I tried something new. We always new. want to try new stuff. I tried something new sure. and fell on my face. Yours is better than mine. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Whopping six. Um, you yeah. can find me at Scott Lost, S-E-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. Um, I think Instagram, or I mean, Twitter, not so much. Um, coming soon. I think some shit's going down, I guess. So um, we'll see. And oh, right. Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah. Uh, so for me, Keith underscore Invader, that is my Instagram handle. That's like the only thing I do. I, I could sign up for other stuff, but dude, I like Instagram the most. So, hey, if, if you want to follow me, find photos and books I'm reading and, of course, some stuff from all the books that I'm writing, Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. And if you want to ask us a question or talk about the episodes that we've done, the episode you just listened to, hit us up at themakingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know if you got some thoughts on the things that we said, your Comic-Con experience, if you went, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever you want to talk about. If you actually like Emboldened Beer Company Lighthouse Blonde Ale, let, let us know. Let me know that I'm wrong. And it's yeah. better than I think it is. Yeah. And then I'm going to say, yeah, you're wrong. Can you can you title that email? You're full of shit, Scott Lost. That'd be that great. could be anything. <laughs> that you could be talking I mean, that's about the, much the, of anything. There. Since we both get emails to the Making Comics podcast email, like this, if I saw that, I don't care what I'm doing. I don't care if I'm talking to the president. I'm like, hold on, I got to read this email. It just popped up on my phone. <laughs> so, so yeah, feel free make make that the heading of any and all emails. I I, I would think it's fantastic. Uh, okay, so hey, we're the five. Five star motherfucking podcast experience. You know it. We all know it. Share it with the world. Give us some words. Even if those words are nothing but the five star motherfucking podcast experience. Over and over, like The Shining. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Do it. Okay. (laughs) I think that's it. We we got everything, right? That's it, man. I mean, shit. We've been going for 100 minutes. Yeah, we, we did, did it. World's, World's best cup of coffee. World's best cheesesteak. Oh, God. We'll see you next week. Yay, yay. Yay.